Hey, Scott here with Grace Bible Church. Before we get into this message, I just wanted to thank you for streaming this sermon. We pray that each week you are challenged by who God is and what he has done for you. Now, this is never meant to be a substitute for you to be an active member of a community of faith. If you live in the Hollidaysburg area, or if you're in town for any reason, we encourage you to gather with us on Sunday mornings for our word and worship. You can learn more about what God is doing through our church body on our website, gbclive.org. We are on week three, and if that's throwing you off a little bit, because last week was week one, that is not an error. We're actually on week three, so if you're following along with our study guides, Last week, Sean actually combined weeks one and two and discussed both the need and the definition of discipleship. And we learned that discipleship is growing in the following of Jesus and helping others to do the same. And Sean concluded last week, if you, if you weren't here, I would remind you that you can go back, you can listen to all these lessons on uh, our podcast. Um, but he, he ended last week with a short video by Mark Deaver that was really powerful. And Mark Deaver in that video was talking about, well, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And what does it mean that you're following Jesus uh, if you're not helping others to follow Jesus because Jesus helped others to follow him, right? He, he was driven by the desire to have others to know about him. So... If you're following Jesus, you're going to want to help others follow Jesus. Um, So this week, the title is The Motivations of Discipleship. So we're going to be talking a little bit more about the why. Why are we motivated to try to grow in our knowledge and love of Jesus and also to help others to grow in the love of Jesus? Now, I love to uh, start out with definitions. So um, motivation. What is it? So it's the reason or reasons one has for acting or behaving in a particular way. So it's what incentivizes, inspires, spurs us, provokes us to a particular action. That's what motivation is. A little statistic for you. Market data estimates that the motivational speaker's market in the United States in 2019, before COVID, was $1.9 billion. That's how much people in the United States spent to be motivated. That's a lot of money, $1.9 billion. So that figure, to me, suggests something. People want to be motivated. Inherently, we desire and want to be motivated by either someone or something uh, because we recognize that apathy is not a good thing. Uh, Not doing anything, just being stagnant, not moving uh, forward in any direction is not a good thing. We generally recognize that. But what happens is sometimes there's an overabundance of busyness in our lives that leaves us without the drive to do what God calls us to do. What he's calling us to do, which is something much better uh, than what the world has to offer. So my desire here today is for us to pause from our busyness, our whatever's in our minds, whatever's going on with our kids, whatever's going on with work, and just pause for a second 
and ask ourselves this question. So I wrote it in the first person because you're supposed to ask yourself this question. So why do I do what I do? So when was the last time you asked yourself why you do what you do? Whether it be your work or your church service, um, anything that you do, how you raise your family. Um, quite frankly, anything that you do, any action or behavior, uh, getting to the heart of why you do what you do, uh, very rarely we do ask that question of ourselves. We just do it, right? Nike, just do it without pausing and asking ourselves the question. So I want to ask you, what are some of the reasons that we're driven to do what we do? And sometimes they can be negative reasons. So we can all be honest here. This is a safe space. So, uh, but what are some of the reasons that we're motivated to do things that we do? Motivated to go to work to get paid and pay my bills. Okay. So that's my motivation to do it. Otherwise, I wouldn't. <laughs> all right. Enjoyment, pleasure, okay, seeking pleasure. Family. Okay. What about your family drives you to do what you do? Okay. Why do you want to provide for them? Why do you want them to be successful? <laughs> Just say I love them. Okay. So it's because you love them, though, right? It's because you love them. All right. So that that heart, what you're talking about, all those good things you want to happen, it's because you love your your, your family. What else besides love? Fear. That's a big one. Approval. Approval. Or the fear of disapproval. Right? Eternity. Who said that? Ah. Eternity? So the hope of eternity? That's where we end up. Yeah. That's a good motivator. We'll be discussing that. So many times we can be motivated by multiple things. Um, so, uh, but here's a couple that I came up with uh, that can be negative ones. Uh, but fear, guilt. Guilt can be a powerful motivator to do things. Uh, ambition, greed. Uh, so for me, uh, as I contemplated this question, and, and uh, so I had the benefit of about a month contemplating this question, so you know. Um, but a lot of what I do is motivated by fear. Um, I'm not proud of that, but that, that fear of man, fear of failure, uh, as a man not wanting to fail, 
Um, so you can look at that maybe as pride too. Uh, fear of letting God down or feeling like I'm letting God down. Uh, maybe for you it's something else. But God desires us to be motivated by our love for him. And it doesn't even start there. And so I want to go even one layer deeper than that today. Because um, my love for him doesn't start with anything other than his love for me. So in 1 John 4:19, it says, We love because he first loved us. And that's where it all starts. So our motivation for discipleship is rooted in the belief that he loves us just as you are with all your junk, with all your troubles, with all your failures, and your shortcomings. That's the heart of the gospel. And it's the driving force for discipleship. And we need to remind ourselves of that daily, and we need to help remind other people of the love of Christ and the good, and the good news of Christ. Jesus cared about what motivated people to follow him. And so... Um, I want to set a little context here. I actually chose uh, Luke 9, 57 through 62, but we also see this story in Matthew 8. And so we were provided with a lot of context from Matthew 8. Uh, but let me set the scene here. Jesus had just healed many people. Um, he actually healed the man with leprosy. Uh, we see him healing the centurion's servant, if you recall that story. And he had just finished healing many with demon possession. And as a result, a lot of people had seen his miracles, had seen the power uh, that he had displayed in those miracles, and claimed that they wanted to follow Jesus. But Jesus had conversations with them and really exposed whether or what their true motives were in desiring to follow him. So let's read it. So starting in uh, verse 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but... First, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. So, a lot of this goes to the cost of following Jesus, right? So, there, there, there's, there's a measuring the cost of following Jesus, but really, it also goes to what is the heart's motive in following Jesus. And if you look at these three examples of people who interacted with Jesus, they talked about whether they were or were not going to be his disciple. But Jesus, in this conversation, exposed that their desires to follow him may have been for bad motives, may have been for the wrong reason. It wasn't for their love of him or their desire uh, for him. It may have been based on some other reasons. It could have been the fact that they were looking for com comfort or ease. It could have been the fact that they were looking for his kingdom to come right then and they were looking for the power and the ambition and the, and the prestige it would be to be with him in that moment. It could have been for multiple reasons. But we see that Jesus wanted those who wanted to truly follow him to desire him and love him. So there's, he's getting to the point that there's something much greater than our comfort or even our community 
or frankly any other desire for reasons why we would want to follow him. So let's get to our main idea. We should grow as Christians and help others to do the same because of who God is and what he has done for us in Christ and who he has made us in Christ. So we see in this diagram that it's our belief in who God is and what he has done in Christ that is the root belief here that results in who we are, our identity in Christ, which ultimately leads to the fruit of our behaviors, as I got to uh, discuss why we do what we do. Our actions and our behaviors are driven by the very root of who God is and what he has done. That is what is going to shape our motivations. Those motivations down at that root have nothing to do with fear, guilt, ambition, greed. It has everything to do with the love of Christ. So the questions that we'll be discussing today is, do you believe in the character and nature of God and understand him for who the God of the word is? Now, last week, Brian, if you were here for last week's Brian's message, uh, and he taught from Hebrews 6, he talked about God's nature and his character, a just God, a God who keeps his promises, a God who does not lie, and a God who is revealed in Christ to us. That is who God is, and we can trust on that. That, that creates that anchor. That's that root, if you will, that drives us to do what we do, why we do what we do. So, do you trust in the love of Christ, that he knows you personally and loves you personally with all that junk, with all those failures, with all those shortcomings that we discussed about earlier? Because it's the belief in God's love and Christ's love that will truly motivate us for the right reasons to do what he wants us to do. So our main text for today is Colossians 3, 1 through 13, and I'm going to read that for us. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind, minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renew, uh, renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So, 
so often uh, our focus can be on verses 5 through 9. And uh, this was a lot of my church experience growing up. Maybe it was yours. But by focusing on the do's and don'ts, we miss the motivation as to why we no longer want to live to satisfy our flesh. Um, I believe those who, especially those who have been raised in the church, many of us are very familiar with the do's and don'ts. We know what you should do. We know what you shouldn't do. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not diminishing that at all. I, I'm not saying that that's not an important part of this. But I want to focus on the first four verses in uh, Colossians 3 because that really gets to the heart as to why we set aside, why we're not entangled. No, we no longer want to do the things that are contained in verses 5 through 9. And it really uh, is about Christ. So, question. Uh, what does Paul command us to do in verses 1 and 2? Sort of repeats himself here, a little hint. I think I heard it. Seek the things that are above. He says it a little bit of a different way in verse 2. Set your mind on things that are above. So seek and set your mind on the things above because that's where who is? That's where Christ is. So in other words, let's focus all our attention on Christ. So all our affections, all our desires should be on Christ. It's the love of Christ that will motivate us and shape and change our desires and our focus. So on what basis does Paul command us to set our minds and our hearts on the things that are above, that are contained in verses 1 3 and 4. We've been raised with Christ. Because we've been raised with Christ. If you've been raised with Christ, he, he asks it as a question. Yes. That's one. Yes, for you've died because your life is hidden in Christ. And someone said this earlier. I think it was back there. The third one. Yes. Our hope of eternity with Christ. So in other words, if you've been truly saved and experienced the love of Christ and believed in his love for you, you'll be motivated to seek the things that are above. 
where Christ is. Our life's hidden in Christ. In other words, our lives are now secure in Him. And we're motivated by the future glory of spending an eternity with Christ in heaven, which is certain. Despite whatever the struggles or trials or difficulties you may have in this world, we can rest in the love of Christ and the hope of an eternity with Him. And that should, those three things should motivate us greatly. So, if you've ever been in love, and I know this isn't the Valentine's Day version here today or a couple weeks past it, but if you've ever been in love and truly knew that that person loved you, you couldn't wait to be with them. So, when I was dating Karen, um, who is my wife, by the way, <laughs> for those of you listening out there, I would move anything out of my schedule. I would move heaven and earth, basically, to find a way to be with her. Um, if there was something, I don't know whether it was a work obligation or if it was a uh, some, even a financial difficulty, whatever it was, I would find a way to be with her. I was motivated. And I'm sure that there's a time in most of our lives where we could say, I was motivated to be with that person. Um, but think about this for a second. If I thought that she just barely tolerated me, or she could barely stand me, um, she found me lacking in very many areas, and so when I came into her presence, she really didn't desire me. She just really didn't want me in an okay way. But would I have been motivated to go see her? Would I move everything out of my way, out of my path, to be in her presence and want to be with her? See you guys. If, if I didn't know that she desired me, that she wanted me, that she wanted to be with me. I was motivated to be with, be with her because I knew she loved me. And that being in her presence, I would remove any entanglements, anything that would keep me from that relationship. So as we think about our relationship with Christ, those entanglements that are in 5 through uh, 9, we see that those are the things that can separate us from our relationship with Christ. Nothing. Well, let me, let me rephrase that. I don't want to confuse it. But we're secure in Christ. But as you can understand, sin is, is something that we need to eliminate because we want to be in close relationship with the Lord. So we want to eliminate those things out of our life, just like I would eliminate anything to be with Karen. But the perception of God sometimes is that he just tolerates us. That he knows all my faults and failures, and so he's not, yeah, he's not pleased. I want us to get this in our hearts today. Christ loves us even with our junk, even with our failures, even with our shortcomings, and he loves you and wants to be with you. And that motivates us. That love is what motivates us to want to be with him. So, Paul writes and was very familiar with this love. So, 
in your handouts if you have them. Um, you'll see that uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15 I have here. Paul tells us what motivated him. So picking up in verse 14. For Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. That word compels is talking about Paul's motivation for sharing the gospel. It's what motivated him to grow others in their knowledge of Christ's love for them. Why did Paul go through all the beatings, the pain, the trials, everything that he incurred? We know that he was beaten almost to the point of death numerous times. What drove him to act and behave in a particular way? He tells us it started with Christ's love that drove him. It's what compelled him. That was the secret sauce. That was the engine, if you will, that drove him to share the gospel with other people. That love flowed out of him as a result of it consuming him. And that's what happens whenever Christ's love engulfs us and surrounds us. That word actually compels. There's a, there's a component to that that talks about just being surrounded by God's love, but it compels and is the driving force for our desire to want to share his love with others and also to have them to grow to love Christ. So we show this slide each week, and sometimes it becomes sort of just lost in the part of the intro. But the gospel root we're talking about today is the belief and the love of Christ that is the good news that will motivate you to grow in Christ and help others to do so. So I ask you, have you meditated on and reminded yourself recently of his great love for you? Have you really thought about how much he loves you personally? How he knows every hair on your head? how he knew you in the womb. Jeremiah 1.5 tells us that. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. In Psalms 139, 13-17, it says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days adorned for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. The fruit of that belief and trust in his love will be the desire to follow and grow in your relationship with Christ and love others by encouraging them to do the same. So I have a, uh, a short... Uh, I guess, statement or a speech that was given by Brennan Manning. And if anybody uh, has ever seen the movie Ragamuffin, um, it's a true story about Rich Mullins, who was a gospel sing, uh, song writer. Uh, he wrote actually some of Amy Grant's uh, songs. And um, he really struggled and was going through a really tough time in his faith. And uh, as the movie goes, it shows a clip where he's driving in a car uh, and he's listening and he hears this speech by Brennan Manning, who was a uh, minister. 
And so I just want to read it to you, and I, I will throw out this short caveat. There is a portion of it, I, I know that in the scripture it doesn't say certain things, but I don't want you to lose the heart of what it says here um, and gets to. This is Brennan Manning. In the 33 years since I was first ambushed by Jesus in a little chapel in the mountains of western Pennsylvania, in the literally thousands of hours of prayer and meditation, silence, solitude in those years, I am now utterly convinced that on Judgment Day the Lord Jesus is going to ask one question and one question only. Did you believe that I loved you? That I desired you? That I... that I waited for you day after day, that I longed to hear the sound of your voice. The real believers will respond and say, yes, I believed in your love, and I tried to shape my life in response to it. But many of us who are so faithful in our ministry, our practice, and our church going are going to answer, well, frankly, no, sir. I never really believed it. And there is the difference between the true believers and the nominal Christians that abound in our churches across the land. No one can measure like a believer the defectiveness of our gloom, our pessimism, our low self-esteem, our self-hatred, and despair that block God's way to us. Do you see now why it's so important to lay hold of this fundamental truth of our faith? Because you're only going to be as big as your own concept of God. We make God in our own image, and he winds up being as fussy, rude, narrow-minded, and judgmental, and legalistic, and unloving, and unforgivable as we are. I've been to churches from Bangor, Maine, Miami, Seattle, San Diego, and St. Louis, and honest, the God of so many Christians I meet is too small for me because he's not the God of the Word. He's not the God that is revealed in and through Jesus Christ, who at this moment comes to your seat and says, I have a word for you. I know your whole life story. I know every skeleton in your closet. I know every moment of sin and shame dishonesty and degraded love that's darkened your past. And right now, I know your shallow faith, your feeble prayer life, your inconsistency in discipleship, and my word to you is this. I dare you to trust that I love you, just as you are and not as you should be, because none of us are as we should be. It's that love of Christ it will shape our life. It will drive us to want to grow in Him. And it will drive us to want others to know that same love and also to grow in their love of Christ and live a God of lo- a godliness, life of godliness, as we mentioned in Colossians 3, some of those things that need to go away. So again, uh, our main idea We should grow as Christians and help others to do the same because of who God is and what he has done for us in Christ and who he has made us in Christ. So, just wanted to remind you today of how much God loves each and one of you personally. Just ask you to meditate on that. 